The Incomparable Number 198 June 2014 Welcome back to The Incomparable Podcast. I'm your host, Jason Snell, and we've got a very interesting topic and panel. Um, a little bit different. I feel actually ashamed that it is a little bit different because we should have had uh, an episode with a, a panel composed this way before, and it just hasn't happened, but it, it's happening this time. We have a special guest, and we have some regular attendees, and uh, I think we're going to have a good time. Let me introduce my panel. Lisa Schmeiser is here. Hello. Hi. It's a pleasure to be back. Good to have you back so soon, no less. I know. That's crazy. Mm-hmm. So, uh, who else? Erica Ensign also here. Sign in. Please report your name, rank, and serial number. I don't know. <laughs> you can't see me, but I'm saluting. All right. Good. Good. Is that a Canadian salute you're doing there? We don't accept those here, Lieutenant. <laughs> uh, oops. Yeah. All right. And a special guest, the head of development at my favorite name in a, in a company I think that I've encountered anytime <laughs> soon. I was chanting it chanting it earlier today because I enjoy saying giant space cat. It is Brianna <laughs> Wu. Hello. Hey, let's crack a lacking. Well, <laughs> good. Well, we'll find out, won't we? That's what, that's what we're here to find out is what's crack a lacking. I, I am going to be here. I'm going to answer that question. Okay. Oh, good. Forward promote. That's always good. Tease where we're going. <laughs> and then people are going to have to stay tuned to find out. It's like a little. Uh, it's like a storytelling technique that gamers would know that, right? That's that's a key part of your job to forward. I don't know what I'm talking about. So, I, I have I have got. You know, I'm also shaken because Serenity Caldwell was going to be here and then she had to go away. So it's very sad. So, we will carry on bravely we will. without her somehow. Yes, she somehow could, she could we will make, make this podcast happen. She could not make it, and that's fine. She had a friend in need, and that is more important than silly podcasting. Aww. So. Uh, so yeah, so you, you, some people may have noticed that I um, I am being joined by three women panelists, and uh, I, I want to I have a little uh, in the spirit of John Syracuse, I have a little opening statement. <laughs> I know, I know. <laughs> well, John is an inspiration to us all. First off, I wanted to point out that um, one of the things that that I always try to do as the host is get the panel the panel started it was just people i knew and i realized at at some point that i knew a lot of dudes uh which made the panel more male than female although i was always happy that i i I knew two women who wanted to be on the podcast from the get-go and talk about nerdy stuff and that was lisa and serenity and i was very Mm -hmm. happy to have those and then over time i've tried to be more cognizant of um encouraging them to be on episodes. I uh, I actually went out and <laughs> stalked Erica on the internet. <laughs> I've never been I've never been happier to be, actually. Luckily, I've never t- actually been stalked. Thank goodness. Well, you know, you listen to podcasts and you say, "Is that somebody who would fit in with our particular level of madness or not?" And and uh, and I, I I hope you don't take offense. I I said yes <laughs> when I when I heard you. I was like, I think she is like us. <laughs> I find that the highest of compliments, and I think you are right. I appreciate that. So my story is this, which is, um, and I was telling this to Serenity last week, and she's not on the podcast, so nobody has heard this story before. I won't bore anybody. Well, I will bore you, but it, you won't have heard it before. So this is my story, which is uh, growing up as a uh, as a uh, elementary school student, I, I was always drawn toward uh, science fiction and fantasy, and from when I was watching Star Trek as a kid, and I always had this perception that. Um, 
one, a lot of times that I was the only person who was into this stuff, and two, that I was the o- that that only boys were into this stuff and that girls weren't into it. And in that that perception persisted in through high school and and in college, after I had gotten rid of um, many of my nerdy things in order to seem less nerdy, <laughs> which totally failed, by the way, to women in college. I discovered, of course, in college at the heyday of Star Trek The Next Generation that I was completely wrong and that women loved this stuff too and that I just seemed to either not know them or totally miss it. And I wanted to start there, which is, you know, was I was I wrong? Was this Was this something that was mostly male and it's just changed over the last... 20 years or was it always there and for some reason either i couldn't see it or that girls who like this stuff don't want to talk about it or admit to it because i i i had a real you know 180 degree turn in college when i realized that my assumption about who liked this stuff was totally and utterly wrong that's Mm. the end of my opening statement what do you think (laughs) Uh, I think uh, I certainly don't want to speak for the world or even the states, but no, I'm looking. I'm looking for your personal stories more than anything else. Your your own journeys. My okay. My personal story is that that yeah. Your mother, up, right? <laughs> right. I grew up a geek, as as we know. Um, so I was definitely into this stuff from a young age. But I have to be honest, I didn't know very many other girls who were. I can think of a few who I bonded with and became good friends with. Uh, but for the most part, there, there weren't that many of us. It really was just us, a couple girls and a bunch of guys. And I, I think it, it sucks being a girl. And I'm mean, sure it sucks being a guy in junior high school as well. But, you know, growing up, there's there's a lot of judgment. And I think that uh, when you're t- when it came to geeky stuff at, at that time, uh, the judgment was a lot more harsh on the girls than it was on the guys for, for being a little bit geeky and you know we were getting judged for everything in the first place so i think a lot of girls just who would have really enjoyed the same stuff that i was reading um didn't even try it because they were just too afraid so i think maybe as geek culture sort of started hitting the mainstream a little bit more by a little bit more those same girls who would have been enjoying it all along finally kind of got the guts to try it out and were like oh my god this stuff is awesome I wasted so many years. So my my personal experience from from the little town that I grew up in is that you were right, um, but but you but it's sad that you were right. I guess is is how it works out. I didn't meet a critical mass of lady geeks until college, because um, my and to be honest, up until about high school, it never occurred to me that wasn't normal. Because when I was in elementary school, um, the first three science fiction slash fantasy uh, uh, media products that I consumed were Star Wars, Star Trek, and Star Blazers. And in every single one of those, you had one, possibly two women, and five to seven men. And so I just assumed, naively, because I'm six or seven years old, I assumed that the ratio reflected like real-life interests. Like, obviously, there would have been more girls in science fiction and fantasy if more girls liked it in real life, because this <laughs> is the logic you have as an elementary schooler. <laughs> Um, and like Erica, I didn't have a lot of girlfriends growing up who were into this stuff. I mean, even when I had friends who were girls, I was known as the, oh, that's Lisa, she reads the weird stuff. And, um, it wasn't until about high school when I, I, I fell into a, I, I guess one of the collections librarians, um, at Potomac Library must have been a, a crypto sci-fi feminist or something because the bookshelves were stocked with Marion Zimmer Bradley, Joanna Russ, 
Sherry Tepper, um, and Suzette Elgin Hayden, all of whom have, have, have done a lot of, you know, incisive work from a very, you know, female centric point of view. And then I thought, wait a minute, it, I shouldn't, that this idea that, that there's a ratio and that my, my interest is an outlying interest. That's a weird assumption to have. And that's a wrong assumption to have. And then, like I said, in college, I realized that there was such a thing as a critical, a critical mass of lady geeks, but you know, even when I walk into comic book stores today, I'm, I'm never in the majority. I've never had the experience of walking into a comic book store and noticing more men than women. And um, most of the time when I go in on a Tuesday afternoon or a Wednesday for, for a pull list, it's, it's me and, and 10 other guys. So I think possibly in terms of what people read, what they watch on TV, what they, um, what they see in the movies there's probably more evening of the ratios because I, I know a lot of women now who are really into like the X-Men or Star Trek or, or Star Wars, but I still think there are pockets under the umbrella of geek culture where there's, there's a profound imbalance. Um, and I'm not sure if that's a temperamental thing or if there's a lot of cultural baggage that I don't perceive just because I'm so used to, to the ratio not working in my favor for so long. No, it's uh, I I completely agree with what you just said, and yeah, I'm also uncomfortable speaking for you know half the human race, but I can say like I had a very similar you know background as all of you. I work at um, you know, my company is one of the few all female game dev teams in the entire industry. Mm-hmm. Um, every woman on my team has also had a story exactly like this. Uh, my co-founder was actually a cheerleader in um, high school and felt like she had to kind of hide this stuff and other people kind kind of didn't relate to her. Um, you know, I think it's, I think it's definitely become more accepted, but I also think that there are all kinds of things around geek culture that are real, no girls allowed signs that are really, they're really invisible to guys. They don't understand it. And it's sometimes in, you know, big ways, like, you know, like uh, a Comic-Con might have, you know, a girl with her chest hanging out, you know, on one of the advertisements. It's in ways that science fiction tends to really typically, you know, sexualize the lead female characters. Um, Star Trek has been tremendously guilty of that. And it's, you know, so it's this, it's all these things about the culture that, you know, it's, it's a thousand little things, but at the end of the day, it, it is men kind of standing there and saying, like, this is our space, this is our culture, and it does kind of push you away. And I think the women that kind of push back and stay in the field and stand up for their interests, I think that we kind of develop thick skin necessarily. Would you guys agree with that? You know, I don't know if you guys have had this experience, but it was a real shock to me the first time I busted out with comic book canon and had a couple guys I was talking to actually act really angry yeah, at wow. me yeah. as opposed to having a collaborative conversation. And I was really, I mean, I was, I was a teenager and I remember being really taken aback because all through elementary school, middle school, and even high school, like, and this sounds terrible, boys were never this great mystery, you know, or, or this entire other species, because I could speak the language that a lot of these guys spoke. You know, we mm-hmm. always would pass comic books back and forth. We played Dungeons and Dragons together. We watched the same shows. Um, <clears throat> but, you know, you'd meet a couple of geek guys, and we'd get to talking about comic books. And they were really angry that instead of them teaching me about comic books or whatever, I had my own opinions and my own back and forth. And it took me a long time to realize that for... for 
for some aspects of geek culture, there's there's a real alpha male hierarchy type thing going on where, you know, I know the most about XYZ, therefore I'm the alpha in this situation. And I had been used to running into that like in classrooms with, with, with typical high school discussions. I, I, it was a shock to me to discover it in, in geek cultures. Like I didn't realize there was that performative aspect to it where... It, it, and I think one of the reasons it blew me away was one of the things that's consistently drawn me to sci-fi and fantasy over the years has been you know, the it, it's all thought experiments, different societies. What if what if the definitions of minority and majority are flipped, or or what if this this social premise levels us all economically? And I had assumed that this this questioning of current societal mores and this reexamination of, of social interactions was something that everyone shared in fandom. I hadn't realized that people brought in these these external expectations about gender roles or what women could or should shouldn't do, you know, in terms of somebody's interests. It was a huge shock to me. So when I go in the um, when I go to Target, I'm going to just say it. When I go to Target. Uh, because my son usually demands that we go to Target because he has a gift certificate or something. We go to the toy aisle. And it is a horror show because it mm-hmm. is – there is a boy toy aisle and there is a girl toy aisle. Uh, and yeah. mm-hmm. I, listening to you guys talk, one of the things that this reminds me of is um, uh, science fiction and fantasy and other geeky stuff like that. People people filed it in the boy toy aisle, which is to- so wrong on so many levels. But if you're a boy, you just see an aisle full of toys and you don't think about it, which is, I think, what my experience was in that. Which you know, which again is so I I like I said, I had this revelation much later that that I had you know you don't aware that that barrier is there until you step outside yourself a little bit and you find that you've made this 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 totally crazy assumption about it. I mean, I can only speak for myself, but even today when, you know, sometimes my husband and I will go check out the toys at Toys R Us. And, you know, I'm an engineer. I I do game development. And for me, the toys that aren't interesting are, like, if you go to the girls' toy aisle, it's Barbie and it's Bratz and it's, you know, it's, it's a bunch of messages that say, be a doll, be pretty, you know, dress up as this. And Don't even get me started on the Lego Friends line. Uh. <laughs> oh, oh, oh. There's a reason we're using all my toys from the 1970s with my daughter. They were actually much less gender determined than the toys now. Well, it's because it's marketing, right? They've yeah. decided to, that there's some something effective about it because parents respond to it. I don't know. My, my daughter, we dressed her in yellow and green mm-hmm. and all of that. And then she saw the princess episode of Dora the Explorer which yeah. I will curse to this day. And all of a sudden I was like, oh, I want pink things. Like, oh, you know, pink is fine. It's fine. But, no. you know, that, that, that marketing aspect. And like I said, I just the, the girl toys, boy toys bins really bugs me. The boy toys, if you go over to that aisle, it's all men having adventures. You can be Batman. You can go save the world. You can be G.I. Joe. You can, you can go do things. And to me, this is such an unbelievably dangerous message for for girls to get like with girls the message is be pretty dress up um you know boys the message is go have an adventure do things have hulk fists smash things and i don't know it's it's like when i look at a barbie doll i find it very aesthetically pleasing and it's not that i don't enjoy the girly aspect of that but it just really bothers me that you know, to this day, when they bring out video game toys, um, you know, Gears of War, they never include the female characters. 
you know, superhero movies, they will not make female characters generally, or it's like a Smurfette, you know, one out of all of them. And it's not just the gendered aspect. It's this message that women are inculcated into before we can even think straight that kind of keeps us out of geek culture. Yeah, the um, I'm going to steal a, a story from uh, my Verity co-host Deb, who is at a, a McDonald's with a, a bunch of of young children. Um, it was girls. It was I don't know some sort of a sporting event outing, and some of them got the Happy Meal with a bo- quote unquote boy toy, and some of them got the Happy Meal with a quote unquote girl toy. And I think they were all like Spider Man or something, whatever it was. The quote unquote. Oh, I have stories about this because this Happy Meal promotion <laughs> just ended, and I have a daughter, so I'll jump in after you do. Yeah, so the boy toy was something active. I don't remember exactly what it was. And the girl toy was a notebook. So, like, girls should sit and think and write, and boys should do stuff. So they've had four weeks of Sp- so they've had four weeks of Spider-Man promotion, or they had four weeks of Spider-Man promotion, and I take my daughter to McDonald's once a week because I'm a terrible parent. And um, <laughs> we, well, and we have Happy Meals, and we sit and we talk or whatever. And when it was Spider-Man... I would look at the toy every week. And one week she did ask for the girl toy, which it was a little um, comb slash mirror where you press a button and the comb flicks out. And she kept saying it was her knife, which <laughs> awesome. I think that's fine. Um, the next week it was, like you said, it was a notebook versus this really nifty wind up spider. And they handed her the notebook and I marched it back up to the front of McDonald's and said, no, I asked for the boy toy. So give me the spider. And so I gave my daughter the spider and she loves it. And it's Megan is the name of the spider and goes everywhere with us now. But it, it was amazing because, yeah, they're, they're toys. Um, if you were a boy one week, you got trading cards. And if you were a girl, you got, you got like heart stickers or something like that. And another week it was stationary. And I thought to myself, this is an action movie about a web slinger. And you're, you're basically telling little girls that their job is to groom themselves and, 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 and keep up Spider-Man's correspondence while, while the boys get toys. <laughs> you know, what the... What the what? And, you know, again, my daughter is young enough now where I can pick the toy and she's happy with it. And she's still in an age where she is very much action oriented. Like in any given week, she's Spider-Man. Today, she was Hulk smash. She doesn't think it's the Hulk. She thinks it's Hulk smash. She was Hulk smash today. She was Superman the other day. Um, It's well, smash is his last name. I mean, usually it's we're very familiar (laughs) with Hulk. She's right. Mr. Smash, Mr. please go. Mr. Smash. But, you know, I wonder how, you know, I, I wonder how much longer that's going to last, um, just because at some point the social pressure does kick in. I want to ask about, I want to ask about how this world is changing, though, because just in my experience, not just not being kind of oblivious, although I do think this was obviously a male dominated field for a while, but, but I feel like it's changing. When I go to uh, Comic-Con, when I went to Gallifrey One, where I met Erica in person, you know, the the, the women are everywhere. It, it does not feel like a boys' club. And, and honestly, the Doctor Who convention I went to when I was in high school felt like a boys' club. And Comic-Con, just in the five years I've been going to Comic-Con in San Diego, I feel like I'm seeing more women of all ages in, in attendance. And, and, and the only other piece of anecdote that I wanted to pile on here is, you know, when, when I got into Buffy the Vampire Slayer, the people who I told about it, who got into it with me, were almost entirely my women friends and the same went for the doctor who reboot you know and 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 so i feel like again this is one person's anecdotes i'm not speaking for any percentage of the population when i say this but it feels to me like there has been a change and whether that's um i i, I don't know the cause or whether it's just visibility that's changed but it feels to me like um 
you know, some of the <laughs> issues and fights and arguments that happen on the internet now are all because things have changed and the old assumptions can't be made anymore, which is a good thing. Um, it's certain, but it, it palpably feels different to me. Time to take a brief break and tell you about our sponsor for this episode. It is the fine people over at Squarespace. You may know Squarespace. Squarespace is the all-in-one platform that makes it fast and easy to create your own professional website, portfolio, and online store. For a free trial and 10% off, you can go to squarespace.com and use the offer code Snell sent me. That's me, my last name, Snell sent me. You know, building a website used to be hard. You used to have to know lots of HTML and JavaScript and CSS and all those things. And, you know, in, back in my day, we used to build websites with our <laughs> uphill both ways in the snow. It was hard, is what I'm saying, in the early days. And then some tools came along that made it a little bit easier. But it's never been easier to build a website and have it be beautiful on top of that as it is now thanks to Squarespace. Squarespace is constantly updating their platform with new features, new designs, more support. They have these beautiful templates to start with, and then there are options. You're not stuck with whatever they give you, and it has to look exactly like their designers set it up. Their designers have won awards for these templates, but the great thing about them is there are tons of style options, so you can personalize them and make it your very own space online. It's easy to use. Everything is drag and drop. You can add content from your desktop, rearrange elements within a page, it's automatically going to look great on your desktop, but it's also going to look great on mobile because every Squarespace website has its own unique mobile design as well. You can connect in Twitter and Facebook and lots of other social services and web services. And I mentioned earlier, online stores. Squarespace has e-commerce built into their platform now. So if you want to get set up and start selling things on the internet, you can do it using Squarespace in just a few minutes. It's that easy to use. But if you do need some help, Squarespace has award-winning support as well. There are more than 70 Squarespace employees on the customer care team. They're located in New York City and Dublin, and they're available 24-7 for live chat and email support. So here's what you do. Try Squarespace for free. You don't have to give them a credit card or anything. And if you decide to buy, plans start at just 8 a month. And if you sign up for a whole year at that rate, you'll get a domain name free on top of it. Make sure to get 10% off and support the incomparable by using the offer code Snell sent me. So thank you to Squarespace for supporting the incomparable. Run out. Snell sent me as the offer code to get 10% off. Squarespace, a better web starts with your website. Well, the first generation of little girls who dressed up as Princess Leia for Halloween are, out, are now grown up in parents. And I, th I, I don't think you can underestimate the impact that Nichelle Nichols and um, Carrie Fisher had on little girl, on people who were little girls between the ages of like between the years of like 1968 and 1988. Mm -hmm. And I think I know it's really trite, but I think we can't um, underestimate the impact of the internet. It, because, I, like I said, a lot of the the young girls weren't trying these things because they were afraid of of being judged and being told that they were, you know, not pretty enough or they're stupid or weird or icky because they're doing this this strange geeky boy stuff. And now that the internet is out there and people are able to to see what folks are doing all over the not just the country but all over the world, um, it's there are a lot more girls of of all ages seeing that there are women elsewhere who are doing this stuff and therefore it makes it okay to try it and of course not every little girl that tries reading Isaac Asimov or whatever is, is going to like it the way I did but many, many of them might so 
that there's a, a much bigger chance now for because I think there are, there are more people sort of sampling. And I think there are also more guys sampling from the quote unquote girl stuff. Like you said, you with Buffy the Vampire Slayer, which, you know, a lot of people. Wait, Buffy the Vampire Slayer is supposed to be girl stuff? Damn. That is how I heard it. Yes. I also want to, I mean, culturally, I, I feel like we have, I, I talk about boy toys and girl toys. But in reality is, I think it's more, generally, there are toys and then there are girl toys and then there are some toys that are really coded for male but there are also a lot that are just the assumption is these are toys and i think then it, the assumption is they're male and then they're the special toys the girl that will be for girls that girls will like and right, bearing and, in mind that that i spent a long period of time on the lunacy of, of pregnancy and birth boards i'd have to say that that what i think is kind of weird now is is mother my observation on the internet which may have little bearing on real life <laughs> is that there is a strong it is is that people are okay with girls pushing outside of gender norms, but mothers of little boys are really, really gender norming them early and hard, like from babyhood, right. where they'll pick up a baby girl when she cries, but they don't want to spoil a twelve-year-old baby boy, which is just. I, I brought up the boy toys, toys and girl toys, only to say I feel like uh, maybe some of this, some of the the geekier media stuff was in the boy toy bin and boys wouldn't notice and has been moved out in maybe into a more kind of like non-gender appropriate thing. I don't feel like, like I think there are very few, I don't know, maybe I'm wrong. I I think there are very few pieces of media that I would say uh, of this kind of media that I would say, Oh, well that's just for women. Although I see that in other genres too. So maybe it's true here too. I just feel like that's, that, this is what people are reacting to is that it's not just for boys only anymore and they, that freaks them out and yes i do i do think they think at that level of being for boys anyway brianna go ahead no i was i was i was gonna make two points like first i agree with your postulate that it's it's definitely getting better it's absolutely getting better um in geek culture but i think something that we really have to think about is the way that women are generally portrayed in geek culture you know like um you know we talk about superhero movies um you know the woman the women that we see are almost always gorgeous and they're in their 20s and you you very almost never see women outside of that very narrow range of roles like even in doctor who a a series i think is generally pretty good at being you know giving women kind of more of a fair shake I think you really see women, you know, portrayed in this very narrow range. And I think that has extremely serious consequences. Um, the other thing that I was going to say is I I think that it is better for geek culture as a whole, but the industry I'm in, video games, it's not better. Right. And it is a it is a fight every single day. And I find myself in the middle of this street fight and um, you know, Jason, at the beginning of this, you were talking about kind of boys feeling like it was their space. Um, I think if it's bad in geek culture, it is beyond pronounced in video game culture. Wow. And, you know, just getting like this is a culture where people celebrate when excellent games like Tomb Raider with a female protagonist fail financially. I mean, you know, this is it, it's extremely problematic. So I guess I would just be a little hesitant to you know, portray the issue like, you know, it's solved. This is not one space. This is a whole bunch of interconnected cultures yeah. that are in various places. I, I was going right. to mention, my, I have a 12-year-old daughter. She loves mm-hmm. video games. Awesome. Um, but the stuff that she loves, honestly, is 
um, stuff that it does feel like it's a safer place. It's it's Minecraft. It's a bunch of Nintendo stuff. It's um, you know co- connect uh, various connect like dancing games and the Star Wars games and things like that. It's not. We're, she's not at the age yet. She's getting close. Where a lot of the stuff that's marketed to teenage boys, where there's lots of you know shooting and stuff and that's like the mainstream and she's just not there yet and that's my concern is that she's going to enter a period where she's ready for the broader world of games and those games aren't going to be um for her they're not going to speak to her and they're not going to want her presence and that that concerns me because i love the fact that she loves video games and i want you know i i know this sounds crazy for a parent to say but welcome to the 21st century i want her to engage with video games i don't want her to turn away from it because i think that's you know i i, I think it, they're great and and she shouldn't get driven out because they're for boys that's really offensive to me but i'm worried that we're on the precipice of that because the next level up is a lot uh, tougher than the stuff that's at the Nintendo and Minecraft level. I I think it's getting better. I see it getting better. Like just um just today, a new Tomb Raider was announced. I think Tomb Raider is such a north star for where the industry needs to go on this issue. Lara Croft started her her video game career as like this large breasted sex symbol that was for the male gaze and. Yeah, it was very clear who she was appealing to. Although, to be fair, that was my wife's favorite console game, the Tomb Raider for PlayStation. Absolutely. And, you know, I, but my point. <laughs> but you're right. There are many women that like that character. She, and she rolled her eyes at a lot of the stuff that was in it, right? But she still liked it. But last year, you had the franchise taken over by female writer Rihanna Pratchett, who is excellent. And you had the lead character turned into, I think, from this sex symbol into one of the most actualized, interesting, three-dimensional women in video game history that has intricate relationships with her female friends, who isn't just a sex symbol for the men. And you have another sequel coming out with that. And... I, I guess my message to your daughter is it's getting better. Hmm. There are different narratives out there for her, but it doesn't happen serendipitously. Like, there are women in the industry like Rihanna Pratchett who really fought for certain lines in that game. Um, you know, and there are women like me that are trying to do different things in the genre. So, you know, there's it, it's not just going to happen magically. Yeah, it's, it's, uh, it's funny. The... Um... I don't know. It, it is. It's it, being with her on the verge of being a teenager. This is the. This is uh, one of those issues. Is that is that there is uh, always a new wave of of cultural stuff that comes pouring in, and there's that question again about what's the what like you said about video game culture being different from some of these other you know sci-fi and TV and movie fandom and comics fandom maybe even and uh, with. With each age wave, you have to process that too. So that's that's my concern. Although it's good to hear that that you know because I I want her to stay engaged and she does, you know she does love this stuff and and I I you know I hope that she's at the vanguard of a, a generation of girls who are going to play games and um, not get driven out by um, you know things that are all about what boys like. I hope she'll enjoy games and she'll look to what it's like in 2014 where there are women in the industry that are making games. And I hope that, you know, she'll see that there are possibility models out there for her. And if she wants to, she can go do this in the industry herself. And, you know, ultimately, when we're talking about comics or, you know, video games, 
ultimately, the answer to a lot of these things is to simply get more women involved in the process, and then these issues solve themselves. It's doing that in comics, I've noticed, because if you go if you go to the internet, especially um, the women who write and produce their own comics are doing really interesting work, and in many cases, it's a lot more compelling artistically and narratively than than what you might actually see being you know printed and produced at a comic book store. Um, there's one girl's Tumblr I follow. Um, Ginger Hayes, what is her name? Oh, Noelle Stevenson, Nimona. I was going to mention our love Nimona so much. I love Nimona so much. Yeah. Yes. Um, yeah. <laughs> you know, she's one example. Um, there's another one called Strong Female Protagonist. Um, and, uh, oh, you know who I'm thinking of? It's, um, she's a part, she, she does the, oh gosh, I'm blanking on her name, but she does the, the great comics, um, about like the, 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 the straw woman feminists, um, Oh God! You know it'll come to me after this podcast, and I'll send the link to Jason. But the but the point is, there's plenty there's there's plenty of, of niches being fill, being created and filled online. And um, every time I read about oh the comics industry is in trouble, I think, well you know the old school comics industry is in trouble. But you've got a whole generation of women who are are basically crafting the industry that they would like to see, and I find that incredibly exciting. I find web comics to be one of the most exciting and vibrant places to be. And I think it's also a good space for feminist men. Um, Can I ask you a question about that, though? Because mm-hmm. I see, you know, I read a lot of comics, too. And, you know, I honestly go, I, I don't read web comics. I look at DC. And, you know, whether it's DC or Marvel or IDW, you know, it's the same thing every single, you know, couple of weeks when I boot up the iPad and look at it. It's like, who's making something that's aimed at me? And <laughs> I do see very few female artists. I do see you know, relatively few female writers. And I see yeah. almost no books that are about women. Like I know there's a new X-Men book that's coming out that's all, you know, X-Men women. I'm, I'm really psyched about that, you know? Um, I, I've read a few issues of that. And I thought I would be really excited about that. Is it not good? Yeah. Well, and bearing in mind, I'm also batting away the, the ghosts of my childhood where at like age 12 and 13, I drew up my own X roster that was solely women. And I had my right. own imaginary character I would have injected in there. And, and so, you know, you brush away. I was just kind of disappointed with how it started. And, um, I, I also wonder, again, I think there's a lot of baggage because it starts off with Jubilation Lee becoming an adoptive mother and taking care of a baby under some strange circumstances, and this motherly drive pushes her narrative along. And I found myself thinking, why? Why does it always have to be parenthood that provides yeah. the, an impetus here? That's a conversation that we had uh, on Verity talking about Doctor Who. If you look at the history of Doctor Who, there are a decent number of, of female uh, villains in, in the series, which is kind of a cool thing. However, it's a little bit alarming the number of them that are motivated by either maternal instincts or or something that's specifically yeah. feminine. Yeah. It's, it's a little sad. To, to get back to, Brianna, to get back to your point with the comics, um, I bow to no one with my love for Gail Simone. She's one of the best writers yeah. out there. And I think mm-hmm. that the rehab job she did on Birds of Prey, I think what DC Comics did to all the characters that she worked so hard to rehab, I think that's one of their biggest cultural crimes of the last 10 years. Yeah. Yeah. And that's saying a lot, given what they what they did in the New 52. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. There's also... Hey, did um, you read uh, Red Hood and Outlaws? No, I'm kidding. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> <laughs> oh. um, there's also Willow. Oh, what's her name? Willow. Um, Willow Wilson. Um, I was I was going to say so. So Marvel has Ms. has Ms. Marvel, which is written by 
uh, Willow Wilson, which is a great comic with a female protagonist. Sure. I mean, I, I, I hate to say this, though. It's like every time I bring up examples, it's like I, I, can, I can call the examples because they're the exception. Yeah, right. So like yeah. there's the Captain Marvel series that Kelly Sue DeConnick writes. Um, and of course, uh, uh, Saga by Brian K. Vaughn. Fiona Staples does the art for that. And they are very much a collaborative set of storytellers there. But, um, you know, again, I'm... Well, Brian K. Vaughn works well with women, period. Because if you look at Why the Last Man, that was, you know, he and Pia did all that great work together. And I think you can't underestimate the impact of women behind the scenes. I mean, if it weren't for Karen Berger, you wouldn't have Vertigo. And Vertigo Vertigo was kind of the entryway for a lot of women into comics. Here, here. And it was a great way to slide sideways into the the tights and flight genre. Because, you know, once you find find some crossovers, you can follow artists... um, you know, off you go. So one of the things that, that, you know, obviously we like to do on this podcast is talk about the works. And I, you brought up an interesting point there, Lisa, which is, are there things that, that, that all of you, you know, individually found, um, as, as something that pops out as, as being like, Oh, this is, this is actually for me. This speaks to me. This is not exclusionary. What are those, what are those things? I'm, I'm curious. I'm interested in my, my mind was blown when Final Fantasy VI came out. I mean, this is a game that, you know, it starts on Terra, who's this female protagonist, and she's hurting inside, and she's been she's been used by, like, this evil, this evil empire. And, you know, Final Fantasy, I know a lot of people like to, to bang on it, but it is a series with some of the most amazing female protagonists in all of video game history. I mean, look at Celeste. You know, look at look at um, you know, Rida from Final Fantasy IV. Um, look at you know, look at Tifa in Final Fantasy VII. Or you know, there's and and seeing this wonderful mix of beautiful art, of narrative, of caring about characters, and seeing women as you know, agents and not a girlfriend, but people that were actually doing things. It was, it was single-handedly. Like if I work in game development today, it is because I was obsessed with those games as a child and they spoke to me so, so fiercely. And, you know, Jason, I hope that happens with your daughter. I mean, you know, we need more women in the ranks of game dev. I'd, I'd love for something to speak to her just that powerfully. She's one of two girls in her tech class and, Mm in middle school and she's but you know what she loves it and she signed up for 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 next year too and it it actually really makes me mad that her more of her friends aren't in that class because it does me mean that she's uh you know one of two or three instead of uh one of half the class um when you mentioned uh video game protagonist i i love the fact that portals protagonist is a woman and it doesn't matter and that they mm-hmm. just said look chell is the protagonist and it, you play this game as a woman and I mean I, that that felt like a big middle finger to men who don't get who get all creeped right. out by oh but I can't play as a woman and it's like it's a great game. Speaking of that actually was kind of my biggest moment I think in that was video game it was playing Metroid. Metroid was uh, one of the yeah, first yeah. Nintendo games on the old NES that I ever finished and like completed I think before my brother even did. Oh my god. And um when you find out that you've been playing as a woman this whole time and you didn't know it, I was just like, it's amazing. I mean, yeah, like 
the angels were singing hosannas above my head. Oh, hallelujah. It was, right. it was amazing. But honestly, that's the only, the only thing that I can point to that, that was such a light bulb moment. I think I was really, really lucky in that I just sort of consumed so much stuff and without even recognizing it consciously, I gravitated towards the things that were a little bit more, I guess, maybe not female centric even in the storylines, but they were written by women, even if I didn't necessarily know that at the time. Uh, when I moved to Canada, I got rid of almost all of my books. Boo-hoo. Oh. Uh, but the few the few that I saved uh, are on a shelf next to me. And I actually, I, I didn't exactly do this on purpose, but just like the really important series that are sitting next to me are Robin Hobb and Julian May, both of which I didn't even know were women when I read those books. <laughs> oh my gosh. Oh my God. Erica, have you and I talked about our urgent need to do a Julian May podcast yet? <laughs> I don't think so, but I am in. Are you? Because I, I have lots of feelings about the Romilliard dynasty and I need to explore them with somebody. Okay. <laughs> oh my God. Wow. You're like the first person I've met in real life who's read these books. I, I'm not kidding you. Oh, I'm, I'm sitting right next to them. Yep. Because I've got the Pleiocene, I've got the Pleiocene epic downstairs in boxes and, um, <laughs> I, I have to get another copy of uh, the Jack the Bodyless trilogy. But, oh, wow. Anyway. All right. Go, I'll put it on the list. Um, <laughs> I, I've written science fiction, actually, is one of those areas where I feel like there were women voices a lot longer. And not only did you have giants in the field, like Ursula Le Guin, writing science fiction novels. She's on that shelf, too. <laughs> but, but you also had, of course, all the women who were writing under pen names. And nobody knew they were. Andre Norton. Well, never underestimate the impact of Madeline Le Engel. Oh yeah. yeah, oh yeah. So, so you had both of those. I, I did. Um, every now and then, I blow somebody away when I point out uh, some Star Trek fan. They all know now, I guess. There was a time when I would point out that DC Fontana, who wrote the most world-building, important, and was also, a, I think she rewrote Gene Roddenberry because he was not a very good writer. Uh, DC Fontana is a woman. That's Dorothy Fontana. They're like, what? It's like, yes. But um, but the fact that many women had to take um, gender neutral or male pen names. Um, still, my point is, I felt like written science fiction had maybe more um, more of those uh, voices than uh, than TV or movies or certainly video games have had historically. What's funny though is the X Men were actually the first thing I thought was for all of us, as it yeah. were. Yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. And and bear in mind, this is even the 1980s when they were the costumes are horrible, and and yeah. I'm I'm too young to have been significantly invested in Jean Grey as a character. I've talked to women who are about 10 years older, and they've talked about the incredible sense of betrayal that they felt over over how Jean's been treated in the comics. Oh. but um. Kitty Pride's my homegirl, as it were. <laughs> and when I started reading, when I started reading the X-Men, I was 11, and she was just a few years older. And so she was kind of my avatar, so to speak. And um, the New Mutants comic came out not long after that, and that had a couple fantastic, strong uh, female protagonists where they were protagonists having adventures first and girls second. And um, Domino? Well, that was a little later. No, 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 yeah. no, 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 no. Danny Proudstar... Sean Coy Min. Oh, so you're talking the early and issue. Mag Magma got brought in and Magma, yeah, Amara Aquila, who they they've done terrible things with her. Ilyana, um, the friendship between Ilyana and Kitty Pride has always been really interesting and and kind of nuanced. Yeah, um, I was going to say that as as a teenage boy or preteen boy reading the X Men in the in the eighties, I 
I I love Kitty Pride, and not just like every boy loved Kitty Pride, but I love Kitty Pride as a character. Um, she was the wish fulfillment character. She was the Wesley Crusher of the X Men, and to have it be have it be a girl was great. And then the fact that her relationship. You know, she has her relationship to Colossus, right? To Peter, but mm-hmm. she that jerk, oh, that, that so jerk, dreamy. get away from my kitty pride. Anyway, oh, so but dreamy. also with also but with with <laughs> Ilyana, right? And the mm-hmm. fact that that I mean, the Bechdel test, we can talk about. You know, it's 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 a tool to point out some issues in <laughs> some serious issues. But I mean, X Men. Kitty and Ilyana's relationship was very important, and in fact, in many ways, plot-wise, it bridged. It was the push and pull between the New Mutants and the X Men for a while there, right? And it was so great. Yes, the X Baby, she used to call them. The other comic book series I want to give a shout out to because this was another one where I felt it was it was genuinely they were trying to do something genuinely radical. Believe it or not, is Elf Quest by Wendy and Richard Keeney. Um, I read through that when I was 14 and 15 and I, st- I still circle back to it and well, oh my God, it's basically like, what if two blissed out 1970s hippies drew <laughs> a long running saga about spacefaring elves who crash land on a planet interbreed with wolves and then run into <laughs> a crazy witch and it works and it, it has, it's, it is literally every 70s science fiction convention filk song. <laughs> Oh, it's Ever. awesome. Right. And it's awesome. Like Everyone's got great hair. But there's a lot of work done looking at um, intergenerational relationships. There's a lot of work done looking at complex and loving relationships between men and complex and loving relationships between women. And, the ki- and, and you know, leadership isn't restricted to one gender. Um, and it's, it's, it's a great series because you can find... I, I think almost everybody who reads it can find somebody in there that they can they can hang their hat on. It it it, it doesn't impose it, and the, this is the hero. He is a dude. Whatever. Like in this case, the ostensible hero, this guy named Cutter, has a best friend he loves more than life, and and has occasional sexual relationships with, and he also has a wife who is much smarter and much more talented than he is, and he knows this, and he's fine with it. And um, it's about this unconventional family they build together. So there's just. There's a lot going on in it, and it's and they're still writing it. Um, they're still spitting it out, but it was it was. I, I think it helps that it wasn't tights and flights again. Space for <laughs> elves who crossbreed with wolves. That's but, crazy. While we're on comics, I I also want, I just kind of remembered something else when I I came to comics pretty late, and I uh, I had a a girl that I worked with a, a number of jobs ago who was sort of my comics guru, and um, I had already read Sandman, but she got me onto a bunch of other you know mostly Vertigo titles since that was what I was into, and she's like, oh, you should try some of the superhero stuff from Marvel, and I was just like, mm, that just that kind really? of stuff doesn't really, really doesn't really do it for me. She's Why? like, no, you should you should try it out, yeah. and she gave me Alias, uh, the series about Jessica Jones, which oh, blew yeah. my mind. I, I didn't realize that that there was that sort of thing out there in the Marvel universe, and it was just this very fully developed character that you got to know more and more as as sort of as she was getting to know herself. Soon to be a Netflix television series, I think. Oh, really? really? Wow. I think I think that's I think Jessica Jones is one of the characters who they're rolling into those three different uh, series they're doing for Netflix. The Mar- that Marvel's doing for them, uh, you know, Runaways, uh, and uh, there's Brian K. Vaughn again. But Runaways is a is an ensemble. Uh, series with a lot of strong women characters yeah 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 no if, if we can go back to x-men for a second here, yes i think please. this is um yeah, i love x-men but i <laughs> i think that this is a really good microcosm into a 
a kind of a, a fallacy that I think a lot of guys have when we're talking about issues of including women in geek culture. Um, and, you know, I'm speaking mostly for myself here. Um, I love the X-Men. And, I mean, I have fierce feelings about Psylocke, Jean Grey, Jubilee, Kitty, like, all of them. Um, you know, in my favorite era, when I really started reading it, was when Jim Lee, it was a little bit before Jim Lee took over and launched, like, just the X-Men comic, not the Uncanny X-Men comic. And I feel like so often when we talk about these issues, um, just, we focus on exactly one thing, like, what does the woman look like? Is she sexy? Is she too sexy? How big is her, are her boobs? You know, how does her ass look? Is her costume too tight? You know, and we, we spend so much time talking about this. Um, I don't know about you guys, but when I think about why I love the X-Men, the in specifically female characters of the X-Men, it doesn't have anything to do with, you know, what their costumes are. It's about who they are as people as individuals, you know, like when Psylocke is really struggling with, you know, her own identity after going through the Siege Perilous, like, you know, that was something I could identify with. And, you know, Jubilee's teenage angst, I could identify with that myself. And I feel like all too often we end up talking about women that are geek fixtures um, in this purely sexual way. And I think it's like the most male conversation you can ever have because it's just about evaluating women by their looks. And I just would really love for geek culture to move beyond that. Because personally, I love looking at gorgeous women drawn well. Like when Jim Lee drew Psylocke and Jean Grey and Storm, I think that's just unbelievably great art. I, I don't know how you guys feel. I think you make a great point. Yeah, it, it's also as a, you know, as these, I, I, it's very easy to listen to the conversation and say, well, what they're really saying is they need more things that are all, you know, by women, for women, starring women, all that. And it's like, you know what? Actually, I think what we're saying is um, that it's a richer and more fulfilling piece of work if it actually is based in some level of reality, like the fact that the world we live in is richer for having men and women both in it as actors and uh, people who have agency. And that's what, when I look at something like, uh, like Runaways or I, I, something like Buffy the Vampire Slayer, and those are both examples of uh, works written by men, but they are a rich ensemble of characters who have interactions with each other. The women aren't there to be uh, sex symbols. They are, they are integrated into the entire a story and they all interact with each other as people and you know that's that's it's uh, kind of really sad that i have to make that statement but you know there are lots of examples where the women are not there to do and you mentioned red, that infamous red hood and the outlaws uh comic but there are lots of other examples right? by the way i love that art the guy that that art came from uh it's scott labdell studied a lot with j scott campbell if you look at the art of my game revolution 60 i've studied the hell out of j scott campbell he's had a huge influence in my work and it's all about intent there. Like, man, Red's, Red Hood and the Outlaws is a really interesting comic because, you know, uh, what's her name? Is it Starfire in there? Starfire, yeah. Yeah, Starfire. She's becomes an interesting, complex character in later books, but they just portray her as this sex symbol from the beginning. So, again, it's not, and speaking for me, it's not the sex. It's not the 
being portrayed as someone that's beautiful. It's the male gaze. It's the intent. Like, is this woman just here to look at? My my recollection, I didn't read a lot of the old issues of Teen Titans, but there was that mm-hmm. period where Teen Titans was really trying to be the DC's X-Men. And um, my understanding is that that character was... I mean, you could. They, I think they tried to have it both ways. But she's sexy. She's also supposed to be because of her attitude toward humans and people and sex and things like that. She's actually supposed to be kind of transgressive. And um, I don't know whether you'd say that she was satirical or whether she's supposed to be challenging a lot of accept at what we accept. I mean, you know, again, she was supposed to be more than just the the one thing. And I'm I'm sure it was done better after the 80s. But, you know, again, I feel like they were trying to have it both ways, but there was at least some aspect of her that was meant to be not, you know, there was supposed to be another level. Yeah, but it comes across as very Heinleinian. I you agree. know, like that's a big theme with Heinlein, but it's always kind of I just written put, by this dirty old man, you know? Yeah, the 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 Heinlein Heinlein it was the you know, you're exactly right. I read when I was in high school, I read I will F- fear no evil, which is on one level this kind of fascinating book about gender norms and all that because it's about like an old rich guy who needs a new body and he gets his brain put in a female body Uh, but on another level it's really not mm, 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 no (laughs) i got 30 pages into it i love heinlein moon is a harsh mistress is my favorite novel and i couldn't even make it through 30 pages of that it was so offensive so you're right because it's the second level completely undercuts the first level and it's well it's like he wrote he wrote a book didn't he? I just read an article about this late in life that was very was like a planet where the the white people are enslaved by the black people, and it's like supposed to be this. See, we need to all get along and ra- as race as races, and we're all equal, man. And, except on another level, it is the worst racial stereotyping you will ever see. Right? So, so, so level two just completely blows away any potential cleverness of level one. So, by the way, I it. In our chat room, I posted a link to the X-Men Women poster that I actually did possess when I was a teenager. And all I have to say is, I'm so very sorry. This is one of the problems with the X-Men and the stuff that's marketing. Although Lisa had the same reaction I had to watching it now, which is the most offensive thing is that Rogue has a, uh, a, stars, and a stars and Bars Confederate flag towel at the swimming pool. What is she thinking? It's not even well drawn. I no, mean, it's not. No. It's really no. bad. Yeah. It's really bad. That didn't, that didn't, I didn't, that's not a keeper. I kept some of my posters from that era. That, <laughs> that was recycled. Speaking of movie posters, that is one of the, the, the places that I think we still see this obnoxious, you know, the, the poses on movie <gasps> oh, posters oh, yeah. and comic covers. However, I would like to point out that um, the, I think the Hobbit, the uh, Desolation of mm-hmm. Smaug had one poster that, I mean, okay, so the Hobbit had no women in it to start with. So they had to add, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> they had to add a female character. Yeah, mm-hmm. good for them for that. And there is a a great, great poster that has Toriel and Legolas on the poster. It's just the two of them. And Toriel is in this badass pose. I can't remember what she's doing with her weapon, but like she just mm-hmm. looks tough. And then you've got Legolas kind of in the background doing the butt pose. It's totally backwards and I love it. It's so great. I think that's what I liked about the Avengers movie posters when that came out and everybody promptly flipped the script and started photoshopping their own art online yeah. and pushed back instead of just saying, yes, it is totally natural to have every male Avenger doing something which implies they're a man of action well the black widow shows us that she doesn't eat carbs and i think that's a sign that it is that it is getting better because we see this pushback people are starting to notice it i mean you know there there is pushback but how many marvel movies have you gone to this year where women haven't been smurfetted spider-man 2 fail you know captain america 2 fail new x-men movie okay doesn't totally fail but 
fails, you know, and I was kind of disappointed in the new X-Men movie precisely because I, 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 I thought, you know, if you're going to go to all this time, well, I should say I loved the movie yeah, and I, I thought, you know, and I thought Mystique was fantastic and I like mm-hmm. that they basically make her the force for chaos in this as opposed to Charles and, uh, and, uh, Eric's 10 year breakup, but, um, <laughs> Oh, come on. <laughs> <laughs> what if they going to get together already? But you know, if you're happens? yeah, exactly. But you know, if you're going to go to all this trouble to to come on, there could have been there could have been more lady mutants in the seventies who who could have done something. You know, I, I felt like I, I'm interested in your comment about the Captain America movie because I thought that the Captain America movie that Black Widow came off pretty well in that. In that she did, she was not. I mean, there, uh, there is. You can you actually feel it in the theater. I felt it within myself. There is this thing, like, well, wait a second. Uh, she's a woman in a superhero movie. They got to pair her up with somebody. There's going to be some sort of thing and all that. And you know, they don't play that game. She is a a, a comrade of Steve Rogers. And I, she- I have no objection to how they portrayed her in the movie. My objection is they smurfetted her. And what I mean by smurfetted her is in video games, in comic books. There's one woman. I, I'm so. Damn, sick of this. Rumor has it that they're going to make a Captain uh, Marvel movie, that there's one in development, potentially, with the with the actual uh, modern female Captain Marvel, which would be awesome. Um, that, would be, that would be nice to see. To be honest, if they were to reboot Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. and basically make it Melinda May and her awesome badass uh, backup band, I would totally watch that because that was my favorite character on that show this year. I thought they were going to do that, too. I honestly yeah. thought the resolution was going to be that it wasn't actually uh, Coulson, which didn't turn out to be the case. And that they'd say, look, Clark Gregg, you only need to do a year and then we'll just hand it off and it'll be Melinda May's All-Stars. I don't know. Maybe the maybe, you know, uh, maybe Brianna, the bar is so low that I was just relieved that the that uh the black widow was portrayed competently as a professional <laughs> even though she was smurfette and that she didn't immediately go weak at the knees over the winter soldier who has her long lost red rim boyfriend or whatever i was really glad that we dodged that bullet because i was worried we were going to go there um there is a tiny yeah there's a tiny cynical part of me that thinks the reason they threw her into captain america too was so that they could sidestep any well we don't need to make a black widow movie because she's it she pops up in these other ones whereas i would love to see a black widow movie i think it'd be great you could argue that the captain america movie isn't a captain america movie it's a shield movie yeah um and that and therefore all the shield people are in it and she's a shield person yeah but yeah well, they didn't have Hawkeye in there. I can only assume he's posing for posters or something. It's- well, this is the Star Trek <laughs> argument, right? Because Star Trek was yeah. given so much credit, rightfully so, for being incredibly diverse. But if you look at that cast now, the original cast, it's like, well, they had one woman. They had one black person. The same person, by the way. Just, mm-hmm. We'll just put those together. And then they had Mr. Sulu. And uh, then, yeah, that was it. Mm-hmm. So, and then uh, supernumeraries, right? And yet that was groundbreaking at the time, but... I, I think I think Star Trek is such a good example of how geek culture uses a male ruler to evaluate things and doesn't even think about it. Um, my favorite Star Trek by miles and miles and miles and miles is Star Trek Voyager. You have you have a kick-ass, extremely complicated, interesting captain. You have a female engineer who is wrestling with her Klingon side in a really interesting way. You have, okay, Cass isn't that great. You have Seven of Nine, 
who I would put up against Spock, I would put up against any other character in all of Star Trek history ever as probably the best character in all of Star Trek. Awesome at her job. Deadly competent. Awesome character art. Great plots about her. But it's held up, and there's no Star Trek that's more hated than Voyager, even Enterprise, which is amazing to me. Well, I don't agree with that. I think Enterprise is way worse than Voyager. But yeah, no, but you're right. In fandom, it's probably true, yeah. It is so pilloried, and it is so blasted. and It's my favorite. Yeah, it's my favorite, too. We don't even talk about Seven of Nine as a character. I, I'm on the other side of that argument. Yeah, I don't. <laughs> I just I, thought yeah. the stories were dumb. It wasn't the characters. I just yeah. didn't like the stories. I, I hated the series finale. Oh, that was the that was the worst. Yeah, I felt like they really gypped Janeway, and I felt like, in a way, they kind of punished her for being who she was, because the guy who had been reputed to love interest for the whole series runs off with the ex-cyborg, since she can give him the emotional fulfillment he needs. And I thought, that's a message to send that a woman can oh gosh that's a terrible there she message goes to again. send sorry sorry it's awful it's that's her fine. language um, it's car it's language a, that's right only it's in the a car terrible language to say it's message to send that a woman can have a career or she can have a fulfilling personal life but she doesn't get to have both and yeah and that's never ever something that comes up for any of the men on the series um, i i've never thought about that and i've watched that episode a hundred times you're absolutely right picard can be a hard leader Kirk can be a hard leader. If Janeway makes hard decisions, what does she end up? Evil in the end and alone and dead. Alone. Yes, yes. No one will love you for making the hard decisions. It's just... And it also... The reason I was so baffled and angry by that is if you take a look at even NASA's space program, with the exception of the lady who drove across the country wearing the diaper... <laughs> nearly every woman nearly every woman who's gone through NASA's program has not only thrived in a professional environment, she seems to have a decent personal life, too. Like, we have actual live astronauts who have commanded missions who are doing okay, you know, balancing out everything that they need to, to feel happy and well-rounded. And then we have a fictitious character a couple hundred years from now in a post-scarcity economy who doesn't get that... And, and she's running across diverse cultures every day. Like, what the heck? Why is this a thing? No, I have to say, like, as a leader, though, like, I run a company in an extremely male-dominated, you know, sexist industry. And I can tell you, like, I'm held to double standards all the time. Like, with business deals I sign or just in general in the industry. It's It's very frustrating. And that's part of why, like, I respond to Janeway so strongly like even as a child i saw her as like an aspirational figure like women can be starship captains and i again it just really bothers me that the male geek culture that has this voice that drowns out all other opinions just goes i don't like it you can look up the dvd reviews for star trek voyager and like one of them is something about like oh i hate this chick captain that's flying across the galaxy or something like that You guys are making me extra happy right now that I'm rewatching Babylon 5. And I think one of the reasons I was so drawn to it was because Ivanova and actually Delenn, because she is just one of the most kick-ass female Mm -hmm. characters ever. I mean, she so often carries that show, I think, and uh, she just makes me happy. Yeah. Yeah, I've never seen that. Oh, yeah. Oh, watch it. There's a podcast you should be that's that's doing a rewatch from the beginning. That as a matter of fact, turns out. Erica might be on it, but you know, anyway, it's maybe I've been listening, I've been watching. Oh, thanks. Yeah. Oh, yeah. See, there's a plug right there. 
<laughs> Woo! Actually, Babylon Five is an interesting show too. I mean, it was it was made in the '90s, so you still have a lot of uh, probably more strong male characters than you do strong female characters. But it's much more balanced than most of the stuff you saw at the time. And even the crowd scenes, I, I make it a point now in this rewatch to just kind of like look at the background when they they're doing the crowd scenes in the in the Zocalo, and it is if not more female than male. I mean, they they have really made it a real world in that you actually have like people of different races and different genders. It's great. Yeah, I thought uh, Battlestar Galactica reboot did a really great job. That's why I feel I, I feel like a lot of series have moved forward. That's why I've been so frustrated with the Star Trek reboot, which are fantastic films, but there are just no women in them. Like in the last one, Star Trek Into Darkness, like you have Uhura is the only woman in there, and she plays a nagging girlfriend the entire time while the men go off and have adventures. There are no female starship captains. So they wrote in Carol Marcus, and then they had the, the ridiculous scene where she's just in her bra Stripping for no, for no like, reason. Why are you changing your clothes in the shuttlecraft? It doesn't make any sense. But I felt like uh, from from some t- seriously from some remove, um, I look at that as an attempt. I mean, I think they're really. I I think they felt like they couldn't re re uh, gender a character like Battlestar Galactica did, and I look at that Carol Marcus decision as ham handed as it was in a way as essentially inserting a woman into the ensemble so that they can have her in there next time. Right, which I think is I think that's a good thing. It's sort of like adding Toriel to the Hobbit. However, instead of, you know, doing the the awesome reverse poster thing, they did exactly what they shouldn't have done with the bra. Yeah, she 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 shows up with a bra and she's the daughter of the of the villain um and they could have put in Nurse Chapel, you know, she could have been in there too and they didn't do that. That was an, a case of again them inserting another uh, another character in the original series later to add more women to the mix. So I, I agree. I, I feel like uh, it's tough because they already were going up against so much in terms of rewriting uh, this sacred text almost of fandom. But uh, it, it for me, it shows the most glaring problem, which is what I said earlier, as diverse as it seemed at the time. If you take those same that same set of characters in the present day, it's not diverse anymore. <laughs> no, although I can't, I cannot fault them for for not regendering any of the characters because the way that they started out is it's an alternate universe, and I, yes. you know, it, it it would. I'm not sure that I could necessarily read it that that one change um, made the universe change so that suddenly somebody's somebody's uh, sex changed. And a lot of the extra characters on the bridge, they they obviously made a point of having them be women, uh, but they're not they're not named characters. They're just super supernumeraries. So yeah. But why write Uhura as being you know, the nagging girlfriend? Why do that? Alice Eve is a wonderful actress. By the way, have you ever heard her speak professionally? Like, she is on her game. Like, this is a woman that can be more than just a Victoria's Secret model in a movie, you know? And you, know, you see her in the trailer, and she's screaming in terror. I mean, like, it's 1950, you know? It's... <sighs> Ah, yes. Well, you got to mix the you got to mix the random bra scene with the screaming. I, I do wonder how much of this is a reflection of the movie industry as a whole, though, versus the TV industry, because there's a fairly small but um, growing body of work that shows that television is becoming primarily a female medium um, oh. in terms of viewership. Wow! And um, so there's a lot of there's a lot of internal business pressure to make the type of things that women are going to want to watch or women will let their families watch. And 
there is also a growing body of articles in showbiz journalism talking about here what's currently wrong with the movie industry is they're making all of these movies with this mythical young male audience in mind while completely ignoring the economic drivers for a lot of this entertainment, which are, you know, younger and older women. Um, Absolutely. Look at the video game industry. It's the exact same thing. Oh, look at the hunger. Yeah, yeah. But, you know, people were, like, surprised that the Hunger Games did well. And I'm like, do you not have eyes and the ability to read a bestseller chart? My God, come on. And by the way, that book is great. That book is wonderful. Oh. I really, you know, I'm one of the few people who loved how the series ended. Um, yeah, I am too. You know, because I thought that was really realistic. And, and you couldn't have had, oh, we can't spoil. Okay, never mind. I, yeah. I, 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 yeah, I'm not one of those people. I, I think the third book is a disaster. But, you know, that's okay. That's a topic for another time. <laughs> yeah, but, uh, you know, Jennifer Lawrence, the women can't carry action movies. I'm like, really? Because Jennifer Lawrence is basically carrying on that franchise and yeah. teeny tiny Josh Hutcherson. And she's doing a great job with it. And, you know, I would argue that she she and Evan Peters were the two best things about the, the most recent X-Men movie. She's got a great energy on screen. Why they're not casting her as an actual, well, now that she's locked into the X-Men franchise, they can't. But honestly, somebody with some vision somewhere should have cast her. As as like a legit you know Tyson flights type superhero, I would have loved to have seen her as as Captain as, Marvel as a Black Canary. Sure. Jesus, can you imagine her as Black Canary? She'd have been amazing. Um, yeah, yeah, you yeah. Know, if they if you do the Justice League right, you need a Black Canary who who seems like she can be one of the guys, and Lawrence has that quality to it. Um, and moreover, she actually looks like somebody who can fight. So, <laughs> can can I return to something you were saying, which is you're talking about people ignoring the actual demographics and having this fictional, you know, male demographic in mind. In video games, there was a, a, a study that was just released that showed that women are 48% of the video game market, of the video game consumer. 48%. 48%. I'm going to say that one more time. 48%. And in the meantime, you have this entire industry it's funded by men, it's managed by men, it's developed by men, it's marketed at men. It's, you know, and they're just missing so much of the audience by clinging to these old stereotypes, like it's the freaking 90s still. And it's the, yeah. you know, the, the, the existence, you know, Jason, you were describing growing up in. It's just not that way anymore. And even if you don't care about feminism or women or representation at all, if you love the almighty dollar, like, <laughs> you know, make decisions that are going to include your market. You know, we're not this, women are half the population of Earth. And it's just, it's so stupid to make us like one character in a movie. F- film executives are not well known in general for their good judgment. <laughs> And this is one yet, you know, yet another example of that. And I, you see it in the posters, and you see it in the trailers, even in movies that are much better. Oftentimes, the posters and the trailers will be worse, or the green light decisions end up being really stupid because they're the ones made by people who are not going to, who are going to say, "Well, what, you know, women can't open an action movie when The Hunger Games is sitting right there." I can't have been the only little girl who rewrote Star Wars in her head, so it was Princess Leia flies the Millennium Falcon and rescues Luke and Han again. Like, that was the game I played with my girlfriends growing up. No, you're not. You know she could do it. (laughs) Oh my god, yeah. 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 Well, this is why I kind of had an issue with what they turned her into by the end of the third movie, where she's, you know, wearing her her Ewok party dress and and whimpering, hold me at Han Solo, because when you first meet her, she's busy running a rebel army and facing down torture. Yeah. Yeah. She really is, yeah. 
And then by the third movie, like she's in a chainmail bikini or she's having feelings all yeah. over people. And I can remember <laughs> as a, as a pre adolescent being like, what did you do to my princess? It was just <laughs> to be fair though. George Lucas was making all kinds of bad decisions by this point. So, you know, <laughs> there are probably people who are worked up over Luke Skywalker too. So, yeah, um, I don't know any, but I'm sure they exist. You know, like webs of the Kamatong particles. Erica, were you going to say something? There? Yeah, I was just I was going to say getting back to the point that you made earlier, Jason, just about how uh, media wanting representation for women, we don't necessarily need to like throw women at everything. And it's it's more about the good stories, basically, is what it comes down to. And something that, that popped into my head when thinking about that was a show that at first it didn't even occur to me because I don't think of it as being a, you know, four girls show, a four female show, but it's Orphan Black, which is so girly if you think about the number of characters. <laughs> and yes, they're all played by the same woman. But I mean, that that show is just, you know, rife with, with lady characters that are of, of all different sorts. And I... It's it doesn't really stand out in my head as being something that was made for women. It's just made no. for people who like really good stuff. And I think that that's that's the ideal is is something that's just good for everybody. And I love it so much. Oh, I couldn't agree more. Yeah, that's I love the fact that I never really even thought of that show in any context other than being a good show. And yes, it is. It has. Uh, female lead or if you would like to say it's got like five female leads all played by the same actress and it is just a great show and 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 i think that's i mean what where we all want to end up is is not have to think about this because this is this is coming from an uh, a place of absence where you look for a reflection of of the world which is populated by men and women and then you don't see it and that leads to all sorts of distorted worldviews of people who think that the world mirrors what they see in in uh, in media and uh that leads to you know even more issues and i'm not saying that like the movies you watch are responsible for bad things that happen or the video games you play but it is one other you know distortion in reality and there are lots of people who think uh, you know, think crazy things about reality because they think, you know, they saw it on, on TV. So it does, it's additive. And, all, you know, I, I would like to see, you know, it's great when it gets to the point where you don't even think about it. And it's just like, oh, of course. And it's not so much just that they saw it on TV or they saw it in a movie. Like you said, it's because they keep seeing it on TV and they keep yeah. seeing it in the movies. If there were some like that and some with more women than men and some with an even amount, like if it all evened out, Great. That would be fantastic. I think I think that's why, you know, you were talking about the Bechdel test being like it's an interesting tool just to show us how how low the bar is on a on a big scale. I I think all these all these things add up to real problems. I think that if you add up all the all the movies, all the television shows, all the comics, like your entire culture, even the toys we're talking about earlier. I think the message over and over again is women be pretty. Women be a love object, you know, like you can fit into this very narrow role. And I guarantee you it has consequences for the way that women are socialized and the things we choose to do with our lives. Um, you know, I would, I'm going to take a guess that most of, you know, my other people on the podcast with me, that you guys had a point where you had to kind of go like, I am more than somebody that's just valued for my looks. And I need to, you know, I kind of have to go beyond this culture. It doesn't mean don't take care of yourself, don't eat right, don't take care in how you present yourself, but valuing yourself beyond that. And that's a message that every professional woman I know has kind of had to 
moved beyond because it's so stark in our culture. Can we talk about the trope that an attractive woman is somehow a reward for a man oh, if he does something good or acts yeah. right? Because that was actually another huge eye-opening moment in geek culture where the first time I had to friend zone somebody, his attitude was, but I've been nothing but a good friend. This is my reward for it. And I was just shocked that I was supposed to be somebody's reward as opposed to a person with agency. But once that was pointed out, I started seeing it in the books I was reading, in the comics I was reading, in the movies I was watching, in the TV shows I was seeing. Arthur Chu, the Jeopardy! champion, wrote a, a piece uh, called Your Princess is in Another Castle, which is about this very point, right? Which is the idea that in all sorts of fiction and video games, the um, uh, Karataka, the game I played as a kid that I loved, the, the, the girl is the reward for the boy at the end because they succeed. They are, they are a trophy. They are a reward. And uh, that, you know, obviously some current events and terrible things that have happened in society uh, play, you know, point this out that that it's one of these things you don't think of until you really pay attention and then you realize how horribly corrosive it actually is. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's, those are the most dangerous ones. The ones that are so subtle like that, that you just you don't even think about it that way until somebody slaps you across the face with it. And you're like, oh, my God, I've been I've been playing into this myself, even as a woman, my entire life reading these books and thinking, oh, isn't that sweet? They get together at the end. And now I take a little step sideways, look at it with my head tilted and go, oh, dear Lord. Although, to be fair, in Karataka, in, in Karataka, <laughs> if you run at the princess instead of walk to the princess at the end, she punches you dead. <laughs> so there is that well it's just such a to contrast that with the Captain Janeway thing Captain Janeway gets to have the career but nobody loves her yeah, yeah. but you know uh, again you could have a similar situation where it's a male protagonist and you'll have uh, you know some I was wrong about you all along smooch and um, boom you've got both personal and professional validation he's a whole person with a fulsome of human experiences and it seems like there are still some narratives. And I don't think it's just confined to geek media, but there are still some narratives that have a really difficult time with the radical notion that women can be fulfilled by more than one thing and that women can be defined by something other than their relationship to, to another human being. Right. Or, you know, even motherhood. I mean, nothing but respect to, you know, female parents out there. But I made a decision that my life is going to be about my career. And I see out there in the culture everywhere that, decision you know disrespected i mean because there is this narrative over and over again like if you're a woman and you're older you're a mother and that's the only role that you can have like when was the last time you saw any woman in a movie over 40 that was not a mom i mean it barely happens or not the butt of a joke because she's yeah. not a mom right oh dude you can't win though i mean because no i i can remember actually walking past um a couple of co-workers at a at at an all hands meeting where two of them were talking about quote-unquote dessert deserved glass ceilings for for working mothers and i i i and as i'm waddling past several months pregnant it was kind of a real shock to realize that i had just been shunted from one category to another in their brain because of my private personal decision so you know yeah, you can't win. Your, yeah, your, your <laughs> yeah. larger point is taken because there's this huge depiction in media. If you're a childless woman, it must be because there's something wrong and you're going to be empty inside. And that couldn't be further from the truth. You know, people people choose the family configurations they have for so many different reasons, and none of them are anyone's business. <laughs> you're here. Yeah. Couldn't agree more. <laughs> truth to power. We're over our hour by quite a bit, so I want any other things you would like to bring up, now would be a time. If you are going to regret later not mentioning them, this would be a good time to mention them. 
Oh, I want to mention Terry Pratchett and the Tiffany Aching books, because I think if you have an adolescent girl in your life, you should hand her the, the those books. I think I think those I think those will set her on the right path, as it were. Oh yeah, if we're doing last minute recs, then I will. Oh yeah, let's do it. I will recommend uh, the. Actually, I don't know if I should recommend it now because it's a little bit dated. But uh, as a youngster, the Dragon Riders of Pern was really instrumental (gasps) for me. Oh my gosh! Once again, Erica and Lisa have to do a podcast. (laughs) That's yeah. That's actually. I just I turned my head a little bit farther a few minutes ago, and I realized that my other shelf of the the two uh, is all Anne McCaffrey, Andre Norton. Um, Yeah. So (laughs) here, here. Yeah, I'd recommend Sherry Tepper, um, her books. Um, I would recommend uh, people read Joanna Russ's The Female Man. I would recommend read, well, I'd recommend Discworld in general, but Terry Pratchett does a great job if they have the witches in them, and especially the Tiffany Aching books, which are aimed at a young adult audience, for sure. Yeah, actually, I, I had tried reading some Terry Pratchett, and the comic stuff, mm-hmm. the comedy stuff doesn't usually do it for me, but then somebody handed me one of the witches books, and I was like, this is where it's at. Avoid, like, the first four books in the Discworld series, like, the old, the, 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 the more recent books are much, much better. It's, it's really gratifying to, to watch how he stretches and grows over the arc of his career. Yeah, I didn't even know. Um, I didn't even know she was uh, Terry Pratchett's um, you know, daughter. Uh, but Rihanna Pratchett is the person that writes a lot of video game media. And um, God, I've, I've noticed in the time since that people only ever mention her father and then call you know her, you know, his daughter, which is beyond disrespectful. But uh, you know, she has the Tomb Raider sequel coming out. I think she does fantastic work. Also, I hope this doesn't feel like a plug, but you know, my game Revolution 60 is about to come out. And it's, it's, if you've ever played with Barbies and said, this would be great if you mixed it with the plot of 24 in space, like that's our game. <laughs> I used to with Buck Rogers. Yes. Barbie and Buck Rogers have space adventures. It, it really is like, for myself, from a very young age, I've looked at video games and I've said, where are the self-actualized women? Where are the women that do things? Where are the women that kick ass and they're not there to be eye candy? And, you know, it's a it's a narrative and an all, of an all-female team. It is Mass Effect meets Heavy Rain. It's a story. Every bit of it is acted out in 3D with voice acting. And you know, if you like self-actualized women, this is going to be the game that's more self-actualized than anything you've ever seen. So check it out when it comes out. Awesome. Yeah, that's a plug, but it's it's allowed. All right. Thank you. Thank you, Jason. <laughs> I appreciate that. All right. Uh, well, I think that's going to wrap it up for now, but I want to thank my guests for this excellent, stimulating, and interesting discussion. And Lisa only swore a little bit. <laughs> uh, Lisa Schmeiser, thank you so much for being here. I'll have you know I'm trying for a very polite sign off <laughs> resisting the urge to pepper with four letter words right. we got the spoiler horn it does double duty as the uh, as, as, as the, the expletive horn <laughs> erica ensign thank you so much for being here uh you're welcome i'm thrilled to be here as as the one who has mm-hmm. to sonic out the swears on verity i i feel for you yeah 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 you know how it is and Brianna Wu, thank you so much for coming on. I appreciate Happy it. Happy to crash your uh, crash your party. And we should reference you were on a, you were on a cool uh, episode of Debug uh, episode thirty four. You can find that at imore.com. It's about um, sexism and technology in the tech industry, and it was a really great conversation. And our own Serenity Caldwell is on that episode too. So, along with many other very interesting people. 
Well, this was great. Uh, thanks so much for coming on, and thanks everybody out there for listening to The Incomparable. Uh, until we meet again, I remain Jason Snell. Good night. Hey, everybody. Before we go, one note about this episode. We recorded it live on June 9th. 2014, right in the middle of E3, the big game show. And it turns out that DLC, the podcast on the 5x5 network, was going to be doing a game special the whole week that they had set up with some of the 5x5 staff. And there was a mix-up. 5x5 has a live broadcast calendar that our times and dates are always on. And uh, they didn't check the calendar and they didn't communicate with us. And so we were double booked. And we started streaming, and I voluntarily dropped off because their stuff was uh, newsworthy stuff from E3, and our stuff was something we were talking about, a timeless topic, and we were banking it for a few days anyway. So our, our stream went away. People who like to listen live didn't get a chance to. And I'm sorry that that happened. There was definitely miscommunication. Dan and the people at 5x5 apologized for the miscommunication. However, the point still stands that 5x5 was planning on doing a week-long evening broadcast from E3, which meant that even if they had communicated, we were not going to be able to broadcast live because that was not... It, the the channel was taking it over with the DLC, and that was the decision that 5x5 made. That's fine. Um, but what it told me is that if we're going to keep streaming live, we need to do it ourselves. So that's what we're going to do from now on. You can go to theincomparable.com slash live. If you'd like to listen to us recording live, we'll put a stream there when we're live. There'll be a calendar of when we're planning on being live all on that page at theincomparable.com slash live. Thanks to Dan and 5 by 5 for putting together the live streaming infrastructure over the last few years. Really appreciated it. We're going to have a chat room on the same server that the 5 by 5 chat room's on, but it's going to be at uh, the new room named The Incomparable, and we've even got a show bot where you'll be able to suggest titles. So if you like to listen to the show live or you have never done it but want to do it sometime and give us live feedback in the chat room, you can do it. We're just going to do it ourselves. So theincomparable.com slash live for more details. And thanks to everybody out there. I'm sorry we couldn't stream this one live for you, and I hope you enjoyed it.